0: good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you're tuning in from i'm john brandt director of professional practices and innovation here at isaka and joining me today is richard hollis director of risk crew to talk about his article the circle of failure why the Cybersecurity industry doesn't work thanks for joining us richard thanks for having me john oh boy we're going to have a good time here today yes Um, indeed before we get started, if you could just kind of introduce yourself, give a, you know a quick background to our uh, to our viewers, even hobbies. We'll just get okay. a little personal here
1: today. <laughs> okay, let's do that, uh, John. I'm an information risk man. I've been professional, as you can see from my gray hair. I've been doing this for. I've been in my field for about over thirty years. I started out in Washington D.C. I was doing um, embassy security for communications back when computer security meant. Uh, Tempest Shielding, a Wang computer. Um, It didn't even have a name in terms of uh, uh, security, but uh, did that for uh, quite some time. And then I was actually part of the Americans trying to rebuild the bugged U.S. embassy overseas. Uh, So I started and cut my teeth on uh, security in the government. Uh, I left that after about 10 years and took a job with uh, Philips. That brought me over to Europe as their director of security. Where I was responsible for, for information security of the, of the company and, and safeguarding their intellectual property. They had a, a lucent uh, joint venture at the time. Anyway, I left that to start my own, my own uh, company, which is now Risk Group. We are a product agnostic consultancy. We're located in, in London. We're fairly small. Uh, we're under 30 people all total, but uh, we help our customers identify, minimize and manage the threats to their businesses. And we do that through things like penetration testing and and, uh, risk assessments, uh, you know, as well as uh, uh, risk management, uh, GRC like ISO and and, uh, GDPR and PCI, et cetera. So um, big picture, I think I've spent the the bulk of my career preaching the gospel according to its process. It's not the product, which you, you certainly will see and will come to discuss in terms of the article, but I'm probably a very fortunate. Risk guy in in so much as I've been very lucky to be a part of of what I consider looking back some real change and affecting real change and I and I really love what I do I'm one of these people who who really I I get up in the morning I actually love to come to work
0: that's actually really awesome here you know as you're giving your background we probably have very similar beginnings. Um, I spent 20 years in the, in the Navy working in uh, in and around intelligence community. So I did a lot of different disciplines of stuff and, and uh, you know, and I can appreciate, you know, your beginnings and, and where you've kind of, uh, you know, springboarded into here. Not surprisingly, right, is kind of have with that understanding. I think I have a better understanding why the tone, if you will, of your article, we'll, ju- we'll just, as politely as we can, right? Like you're just, As I was reading this article, you just, you struck me as this individual, you're gonna call it the way it is. And I certainly can appreciate that. There's too much platitudes, you know, that's out there in industry at large. and, And we really need to have these hard conversations. Tell me a little bit about what inspired this particular article.
1: That's a good question. I don't think I'd call it inspiration. I think the article, well, the article was born of a white paper. We did about a 30-page white paper that, that, that analyzed what we thought were five fundamental flaws in the design of the cybersecurity industry from product vendors to managed service providers to internet service providers to businesses uh, to CISOs and and cybersecurity professionals like myself. So we had a big picture view that we took of the industry. Now, and the article uh, is a small reflection of that, but in general, the ideas that were in the white paper and that went on to be a part of the article weren't inspired. They were in fact born of a certain frustration. And I you know bordering on depression I should say uh, I, I started out by saying I've been doing this for 30 years and and I'm coming to the point I think professionally in my life where you look back on your career and you think what have I what have I done have I affected any real change have I been a part of something that actually has moved my profession so you know that's the reflections of an old man maybe but as I started to take stock and look around and and look for the successes in my industry unfortunately i I, I didn't find that many so my perception then started to change in terms of 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 well i tell you here here, john here was the tipping point was clearly the pandemic okay where I, i'm running a a service and my customers start calling me and say you know oh my gosh my i've got unsecured users working from unsecured home locations from you know public uh, uh wi-fi connections and i i would say we'll, we'll pull out your business continuity plan and they would say well we didn't anticipate this in the business continuity plan and i would think you didn't anticipate users coming out from behind the perimeter using unsecured devices and unsecured connections and, and i and i thought how did we get this wrong how did we how have we been talking about business continuity for the last 25 years without the pandemic in mind and i saw the effects of the pandemic it's like we talk one thing and we do something and then something happens and we it's it's like uh, Oh, what's that film? You know, where you wake up every day and you have no memory of the day before. <laughs> you know, that, Groundhog that's Groundhog Day. It's, Groundhog Day, and it it just struck me like that. I thought, how had we not seen, and how were we not properly prepared for the pandemic? And and and, and anyway, I think that was the catalyst for me starting to look around and saying my assumption was our last 25 years of focus on business continuity had us well prepared for the pandemic and it didn't we failed catastrophically and so of course breaches soared during the pandemic and it was yet another it was my first clear example of we are constantly seem to be behind the curve in our industry so that's a very fair
0: point right i I think you know when we look at things is we're going to kind of dive into the, the first thing that you know vendors are a good target let's just right like at the end of the day like it's a love-hate relationship there because they sell products largely that they built that may or may not be you know when I, I when I describe this it's the proverbial square peg in a round hole oh yeah this is what we built this is what you need regardless of what it's if it really suits your needs. And then I would hope, and perhaps you can shed some light on this for our listeners is that in the past, these investments were very large. So it almost, you got to be a point where as the industry in the occupation field matured some and and identified that an investment may not be workable for them, now you know they've already made a bit big investment so now you know they went they they went to the CFO they you know executive team hey this and this is what we need to buy and then somewhere down the road chances are more times than not this isn't what we needed or this isn't working or these are the shortcomings and then it's like and I, the stories i've heard from people through my you know through my walk and my work is that then they can't walk away from it. So, you know, one or two things happens, they either unplug it, right? It's like, well, this isn't gonna work. Or after a set amount of time, typically sparked by some breaches or whatnot, and in additional investments, then they're able to make adjustments. Are we still seeing the the lingering effects through your work that we have a lot of expensive security investments out in place that are just, they're underwhelming, right? And just not what the business needs. They're not tied to actual business requirements.
1: Our industry is led by um, product vendor marketers who say, "You remember when I first started 20, 30 years ago, secure internet by a firewall, firewall equals security check the box. We connected the firewall, but we forgot it's not about the firewall. It's about the the maintenance, the monitoring, the configuration. It's the process behind the firewall that that you know gives you any any kind of connectivity security. All right. So then we, oops, no, it's not, it's not a firewall. We're getting malware. Okay, we have anti-malware solution. Then we then we move to, all right, we're still getting breaches. We need an intrusion detection system. Oh no, we're now we need an intrusion prevention system. So when the industry vendors invest in technology, they need to sell and make sure that they get a return on that investment and so the market is pushed by security equals this widget and buy a product to be secure now i have two issues with what you talk about the first and the biggest issue that i don't think we talk about is these products just they don't work i don't think they work and i don't think we talk about the, the, the these products don't that, that they don't work malware products we've got i've got four malware anti-malware uh, softwares running on my laptop right now and i still get infections. So I, I, don't underst- I, I don't understand this. I don't understand how we can still get malware if we've got anti-malware. I still don't understand how we can get intrusions that are undetected if we have IDS systems that we've invested on. And you're right, and that's what what, what I hear you say, is, well, one, two years, it's it's not effective, it's not. For me, I hear it's not working. I hear this from my clients. I bought this IDS and I have just had these undetected intrusions so is it a configuration issue is it a it's just the products or is the product just not fit for purpose and i think it's 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 a combination of two but you've, you've invested in the technology and you've therefore have a fiscal responsibility to get it your most out of it for as long as you can and before a new technology says no you don't need intrusion detection you need an, an intrusion prevention system and we all we all follow the vendor messages along with the market but my main problem, my main problem that I, I don't think we talk about is 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 cybersecurity products don't really work. And, you know, and I see. Sorry, go ahead.
0: You You said, you know, fit for purpose. And that's such an important term that's out there that we increasingly need to talk about. You know, to and I and I think all your points are valid, right? At the end of the day, one of the things that uh, you know that was written in here that they've all all the products have been reactive, and, and that's very fair. Like I know to your point, no one should be able to di- can really disagree with that. I'm sure there's folks out there right now that are going to argue with advances in in AI and whatnot, but at the end of the day, those are still informed by past events and you know some of the behavioral detection uh, stuff that's going on there so uh, i'm not convinced that's going to get us to the promised land i share your your frustration in that regard one of the things that, that underpins this though at the end of the day is how can how can any A security practitioner, any company, how can you truly protect what you don't know you have? And that message just continues to permeate out there how we're really bad at the basics. Uh, Anything you want to add to that point there?
1: Well, first of all, you know, reactive for me means that we're responding to a situation rather than creating and controlling a situation. And I've been in security my whole life, and creating and controlling a situation is the essence of security. Okay, so when you're reactive to a threat to a threat actor, all right, you are you're you're just defending yourself. You're like a fighter in the ring. You get punched in the head, and you put on a head uh, head gear, and then your, your your opponent punches you in the stomach, and you just then you react to the stomach punch. And being constantly, in a when our products are constantly in reactive mode, all right. We will, we're, we're constantly, and then, and then we prepare for the next punch and it doesn't come in, you know, it doesn't come in the, in the face or in the stomach or where we anticipated because that was the last punch. And so our products always seem to be addressing the, the threat landscape of the year prior. Okay. Cause that's the last punch we took. And so we're, and we've made a big investment to take that product to market and in, to, to install it into our systems and protect our information assets with that. And then along comes another threat. And that's when I say our products are reactive rather than proactive. They're not anticipating threats, they're reacting to threats. And that's a big, for me, my example earlier, the, the, the move from an intrusion detection system to an intrusion prevention system. For me, that was, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. And I don't see a lot of, of that across our industry today. And if you believe AI is going to take us there, that's what I'm hoping as well, that we use AI to anticipate threats and get ahead. But when our products are reactive rather than proactors, we allow our threat actors to set the pace of the game. Okay. And 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 this is what we say in the article and in, in the white paper, it's like we're buying knives to take the gunfights. We are we are constantly not adapting as fast as there are threat actors. You know and we don't meet the skills, the capability, the resources of our threat actors because we just we're reacting from the last punch which happened a year ago and now we've got a product that, that'll stop that. So this when you're reactive rather than proactive, you're always gonna, you're always going to allow your adversary to set the pace of the game and that's where we are and that's where our industry is. the threat actors set the pace of this game. And our products come out a year or two after, after some big problem that we all acknowledge we have. And then we find solace in that until we take another punch. So in your
0: article, you talk about FUD and and for those who, for the couple people out there who may not know what that is, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And fear sells, we see it in all walks of life, right? Um, Sensationalism sells from your perspective and it was and so fud was very rampant i would say pre-pandemic for certain and then but the, as the pandemic waned do you believe that it's as prominent as it was or has the industry really become a little desensitized to it just because breaches are just so common and you know they just permeate the headlines and we, we see these big headlines and we're not seeing any substantial shifts.
1: Not from my clients, not, not from what I see. I still see, you know, for me, FUD is the enemy and it's everywhere and it's still a large, it is the presence that moves our industry from my perspective. I see it everywhere. I see it in every conference presentation title, in every blog, and every article, and all the website content from our vendors and, our, and our, our our service providers. I see it in all the images that we see of, you know, hooded hackers hunched in the shadows over, uh, over keyboards, you know, emblazoned with skull and crossboards. Be afraid. Be very afraid. And you're right. That, that sells. And that's in a lot of industries. But our industry lives and breathes it. Even the term... It, 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 for me, FUD is, it's, it, well, it's wartime propaganda, right? It's what, it's, it's weapons of mass destruction. It's, it's, um, be afraid, be very afraid. Buy the products from us to protect you from them. Us versus them. That's, that's what's, that's what's being played out. And the problem with FUD is we base our strategies on FUD and not on what's good for our businesses. Okay. So we have an emotional basis for responding to our cyber threats and not a rational, well-thought-out strategy. So when fear is your reason for doing something, you're not acting rationally, And, and that's, that is the problem with FUD. FUD, you're right, John, FUD's in every industry. But our industry, we live and breathe it. Be afraid, be very afraid. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. I am so sick and tired of hearing that, and I've done this for 30 years. That doesn't help the problem getting people afraid doesn't help the problem it just it it pushes products is what it does in 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 my mind in my industry that's what i see it for so we end up basing our fear and, and replacing product for strategy
0: so on that note though right like i think it highlights the criticality and where we're seeing the, the behavioral aspect of cybersecurity, right? Because, you know, we have vendors that are, you know, trying to, they're pushing products. And whereas the products could help, especially if they help us get, a, be able to turn the page, so to speak, right? And become more proactive in, in learning. But within all of that, like all of these things, that, first of all, products are created, tuned maintained by humans right and we're all fallible at the end of the day so to me between that aspect of it on the operational side of things and then there's you know we talk about the end users being the human firewall and the first line of defense you know per se right within the organizational structure we're at this crossroads of technology versus human psychology in a lot of regards, right. And even to you, what you were talking about with the buying decisions and whatnot. So from your professional, you know, you've, you've been in this, doing this for a long time. You got a really deep background. How do we
1: turn the page? It starts with a strategy. How do we turn the page? Remember when you and I went off for training at our super secret location and we 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 had, we learned the secret handshake and we said, cybersecurity is about protecting people, process and technology. And yet, you know, I do not, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never seen a company that allots one third of their budget to people, one third of their budget to controls and process and one third in technology. It all goes into technology. OK, that's what so we mistake our strategy for just te- technology. It's a firewall. It's an intrusion detection system. It's sort of it's the next thing. All right. And that's that to me is a problem is our is our focus. We mistake product for strategy. And, and I, I tell you, do you know of any company who spends one third of their security budget on information security awareness training? No, nobody does. And yet we all know that the basic is the basic strategy is to protect people for process and technology. And two-thirds of our strategy goes unaddressed. So, and that's, that's, that for me is the, is my challenge with any customer, any client I talk to is saying, you've got, you've got attack vectors. You've got threat vectors through your people, through your process and your technology, and quite frankly, the technology is the easiest one to deal with. So, you know, what about your people? What about your process here in terms of getting access to information assets and understanding the threats in these vectors? But it, it doesn't, it doesn't, because the industry is around selling product and selling services on technology. So our focus becomes technology and I'm, I'll say it again, from my perspective, this technology does, is not fit for purpose. It doesn't work. Case in point, I've got a client who calls me up and says, I've got ransomware. And I said, oh, geez, that's, that's just terrible. Do you have anti-malware? And he says, well, I've got, I'm running four anti-malware solutions. I said, what is what is malware? What, what is ransomware? Ransomware is malware. OK, you understand that you're running mal- anti-malware solutions and you're getting ransomware. So you've got a product that doesn't work. And, and, and that's the last thing we seem to think about is that, you know, this fit for purpose. We, we mistake product for strategy and the product is not fit for purpose. And so there's another breach and we're all just shocked. So you talk I'm starting, about. I'm starting to depress myself again. And I promised I wouldn't do that. I promised my 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 <laughs> wife. I try to keep optimistic today. I, I'm I'm not being negative. I'm, i to me that's a realistic that's a realistic view. Ransomware is malware. Every who doesn't have isn't running malware. And right. so why is ransomware a problem? And why aren't we going to our our anti malware vendors and saying why do I have ransomware? Isn't this your job? This is why I bought your product.
0: They're all fair questions, right? At the, at the end of the day, <laughs> I, I think let's let's talk about strategy though for a second right because I, I would agree with you right all too often for as long as you and i can remember where did security start from we just tried bolting it on and that doesn't work right Be- that got us nowhere so strategy is not new however let's talk about present the present prominent strategy in play right with zero trust it's it's not new, it's, it's largely rebranded, assume the breach, assume breach mindset. Um, it's largely caught on in your opinion, from where your work with in the industry, working with customers, give me a pro and a con right now of, of zero trust in play. Like, where is it, where is it succeeding and where is it still lagging despite a lot of folks getting behind
1: it. First of all, I think zero trust is an honest assessment of where we are today in the industry. Trust, trust nothing, trust no one. I I, I think that's a, you know, for me, old guy like me, that's so Ronald Reagan: trust but verify. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, I th- I I think that's a refreshingly honest approach to our industry. My problem is the con would be that not a lot of businesses can afford to take that position and that as a baseline for their strategy, one, the, just because of technology and business operational issues, and two, because of their prior investment in, in trust technology that clearly isn't working. And so now we're moving and I'm, I heartily endorse the trust no one, uh, zero trust uh, uh, approach. So I see it on one hand as, as in fact, part of you know what I'm trying to draw attention to in terms of things aren't working. So there is no such thing, cybersecurity, oxymoron, no such thing. It's about identify, minimize, and manage the threats. That's zero trust for me. And that's, that's been in my DNA ever since I've started, you know, for every day of my, my professional life. So for us to articulate it as zero trust is a very good thing. And this is exactly what I get my clients to, to understand. There is no such thing as a secure computer, it's an oxymoron. So what are we going to do about that? And and we manage the risk is what we're going to do. But again, I get pushback from clients because they they have an infrastructure of 20 years of investing information security technology and managed services and they're running a a, you know security incident event management service and they're running and it's not working and they are still suffering breaches so it's kind of a i'm finding that there's a pushback because people don't want to admit defeat and of course then what do you do what do you do if if there is zero trust to be had and we can trust nothing and no one there's no technology to be trusted that doesn't sit well with people who have a budget, who are trying to apply that budget as surgically as possible with the maximum results. And I don't know. I think it's 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 gonna be a balance. I don't, why well, I think naming it for what it is surely brings it out into the open and therefore we have to deal with it. I think that there's a legacy uh, reluctance to accept that that is the reality of today.
0: And I think you, na- you nailed it right there, right? You had talked about you know on on the positive side is it it's an honest assessment right and, and and humility is a very powerful thing in life in general right like we don't know we don't know um we're always constantly learning you know I, whether that learning is willingly or via pain but there's there's that we're stuck right like yes you, we made investments there's infrastructure in place but you also that's also part of the systemic failure right now right like we and and i i look back like um when i was on active duty afloat like one of the big problems we always had was like the systems were controlled by different program offices undoubtedly they never talked to one another right so it wasn't not until you started connecting systems did you actually start seeing the challenges and understanding things, and really that was my earliest understanding of that whether it's was the military, the government, companies, they largely don't understand their systems that are there, What what's quote unquote normal, what, you know, from a data flow perspective and whatnot. So you have to start somewhere, right? And to acknowledge that and be like, okay, how we got here doesn't matter anymore. The The threat landscape is, has shifted, it's very dynamic nowadays, and we, you have to start somewhere. One of the things that, I, you know, that I see as a, that I've heard of as a solution that I I think is just another Band-Aid is, you know, there's some service providers that come out and say, listen, we're basically going to encapsulate your network, right, like, and, and it was toted as a zero trust solution to which there are no zero trust products, right? There are products that will help you achieve zero trust. And that's one of the misnomers. And one of the things that I think, you know, I hear in your frustration is marketing folks are great on grabbing hold of buzzwords and and just to kind of uh to advance their their sales cause. But to the to the novice or to the overworked understaffed security teams that are in play to which there's a lot of them it's easy to somehow just grab at the the path of least resistance and so again like we have to start somewhere to really start making some better choices on investments and where things can get peeled back some uh good friend of mine uh, Chase Cunningham, right, aka Doctor Zero Trust, right. I served with him. He, you know, he he does a lot of work in that space. And and one of the things, like in his work with with customers and clients, and and through his his advocacy, is if done right, again, you need a strategy, and that's one of the things that he just browbeats you also start to identify all of the different solutions that are in play sometimes because they're not under the same umbrella. And I think that's probably, a, I know your larger companies is probably where you you yourself would see that.
1: I, I don't, um, okay. So, first of all, I would take exception to say that, you know, zero trust is where we are. Zero trust, as I understand it, is the acknowledgement. Uh, and, I, and I don't think as an industry we have fully accepted zero trust as, as where we currently are because I don't think we have fully understood where we are. Today, when I say, and I, I've seen that from the feedback I've gotten on this paper. I'm going out there saying, you know, our the cyber the security products we are buying and have been buying over the last 20, 30 years to secure our 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 infrastructures are in fact insecure. Uh and, and you know, there's zero-day vulnerabilities in Sonic Wall. There's, you know, RSA loses its code. It, it's, you know, the, the very products that we have been invested in we have and we're currently monitoring and and we've got an emotional and a financial investment in these products and services. They are proving to be in fact insecure, okay? So I, 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 I don't think that we as an industry have come to grips with that. And then and only then can we take the concept of zero trust and say, if that is in fact the status quo that we can't even trust the integrity of the security products and services that we have deployed past tense currently and current tense that we're deploying today where do we go from here? So I think, you know, for me, the, the concept of zero trust is very new. My clients don't use that. I, I've, i you know, for me, I heard it from my socket and I just jumped up and down when I did. But my clients and, you know, the business on the street doesn't understand, wait a minute, you can't trust anything. And, and they're still in shock. And it's gonna take for me, it's gonna take the market two or three years before we understand. And then if, if that's where we in fact are today, where do we go? What's the strategy to go forward? Because we're still dealing in a legacy of failure, is is how my perspective is in doing this day in but day out for customers.
0: That's a that's a really good perspective there. And and I appreciate the deck plate view, if you will, right. You're out there working with customers and clients all the day. And like, for those of us that are not, you know, still actively practicing and you're working with your clients, like you would think by just combing. Different media outlets, you know, your main sources of information, you would think that everybody gets zero trust the feedback is obviously you know I, that's why i love these conversations right at the end of the day because in my role it's like okay hey here's an opportunity here for isaka to peel that onion back right and to be a little bit more deliberate in, in where do we have gaps in content that's like the the secondary benefit of this conversation here in your article you know you're highly critical of a lot of different things and rightfully so to make good use of the airtime, right? And your views here, why is it not in the vendor's best interest to solve the problem? Let's just, let's rip that bandaid off and let's just put that out uh, there.
1: Let's just rip that bandaid off. Cause (laughs) it's just, it's hanging right out in front of us. We don't seem to acknowledge it. For me, one of the first, one of the, I talked about epiphanies. One of the first things I remember saying out loud, cybersecurity vendors profit from the insecurity of computing. That's a fact. And And it's not a fact I dwell on. And it's not a fact that I ever heard at a conference, but that is a fact. It's kind of like the pharmaceutical industry that makes a lot of money treating the viruses, the colds, the sneezes, the aches, the pains you know, rather than finding a cure for the common cold. There's so much money generated in our industry from treating the viruses and the malware and the, you know, all these little symptoms that we struggle with in cybersecurity. So, in it's a fact, and the other, the other clear evidence of that is after every breach, the top 10 security providers, their share prices soar. Why is that? Why are cybersecurity vendors in our industry, why do they profit from breaches, shouldn't they profit from keeping systems secure? Shouldn't it be the inverse? And to, to me, that, that that kind of logic is is right in front of us. You know, I watch you know after WannaCry, you know, uh, stocks surge from the very people who should have prevented WannaCry, and you think how what that, that's odd. That's that that's very strange. How do they profit from the insecure, from breaches when they should be profiting from stopping breaches? Because that's their mandate and that's why we bought their product. So I I think it's acknowledging that simple, you know, that simple dichotomy. When I say, when when we look at vendors to understand what's at play, they make a lot of money from our problems. They do. That's a fact. And that's okay as long as, but here's what I'm saying. As long as the money we exchange with them is to solve those problems. And I don't see a lot of evidence that those problems are being solved from ransomware to, you know, our continual problems that 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 we've been plagued with for the last 20 or 30 years. The breaches, the breaches alone are evidence that that our products are failing us. The profit margins year after year after year go up. The breaches year after year go up. Our spend on cybersecurity year after year goes up and yet our breaches go up. That's an inverse relationship. It seems like to me, the more you spend on cybersecurity, the, the breaches should go down. And those two statistics aren't, are, you know, aren't correlated at all. It's an odd thing to me when I because and, and I don't see this in any other industry. I think it's 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 very particular to our industry that the ineffectiveness of our products and services, in fact, generate more money for the very people who sell those products and services. So I think that's a fair assessment, and and I
0: I really can't argue with with that. However, you're right to take an opposing view on this it's easy to say that the, that the widgets and the technology is failing us. But at the end of the day, listen, security is not sexy, right? Like it's just, it, 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 if it was easy, everybody would be in it. There's a certain mindset you need to have, you know, with it and, and, I, and I sense this about you, like you're more of a skeptic, right? And, and I share, it's easy to be very pessimistic in this with what we see. But are businesses not helping themselves either in the sense that two core principles of least privilege and need to know in how they actually compartmentalize access to data within their company, are they making their problem worse? Acknowledging that breaches are common, that you know, that the industry the vendors have not solved problems are they not also helping themselves because they've not properly categorized their data and done data classification
1: drills? Absolutely, I'm not. I'm not saying, John. I, I in no way. By the way, I, I, in the paper that the article is based on, we talk about five failures and the last failures, businesses, and this is exactly what I bring up. You know, this is. I'm not just pointing one finger at at product vendors and saying our products don't work. I'm pointing at what I think feel are anomalies in the design of our industry and how we do not incentivize success. That's what I'm trying to do. But you're absolutely right. Businesses bear a large portion of the blame. I'm saying that businesses, you know, are are buying product that doesn't work and they should be accountable for that. Vendors should be accountable for that and i'm saying that they're not fit for purpose and that that should be considered by businesses when trying to divine a strategy and select technology that will help them identify minimize and manage the threats to their businesses to include the isolation of their information assets etc that puts the onus on them to to have a strategy um so i absolutely uh, take on and agree wholeheartedly with your point But part of that, John, is, is, is the businesses when they do have a strategy and they're ready and they, and they have separated and segmented their, their information assets and they've got a very distinct strategy. A security incident and event management, for instance, you know, a SIM, a SIM, they go out and buy a SIM management solution. All right. You know that 40% of, of, of SIM alerts are false positives. Well, my first problem with that is why do we call them false positives? Okay, they're alerts and they're not right. So we're going to call them, why don't we call them what they are, false alerts. But no, we call them false positives. It sounds better. It sounds, and that's, again, the marketing you know, messages that we get. But 40% of them are incorrect. Now, here's my position is, you know, when, when your product is wrong, 40% of the time, maybe, and I'm just spitballing here, but maybe your product is not ready for market. And yet they take it to market and we buy it. And so, 40% of the time, the it is a false alert, false positive. We uh, and then we stop, and what happens? Alert fatigue. We stop investigating it. We stop because we're tired of getting off off our seats and going and investigate something that turns out 40% of the time is wrong. Yet another false alert, a false alert, a false alert. And so, this is this is what I'm trying to draw attention to in our industry. All right, buying something that's not for, for purpose when you do. When you do have a strategy and you understand what you want, and you go to the market to, to to enforce that that strategy, but you're absolutely right, John, you know, it starts with the business. The business has to have a strategy that includes segmentation of their information assets and, and, and need to know and, and all, all these things, these foundational principles, we don't follow that. You can't expect product to come to your aid no matter what, you know, how, how, what your business model is so what can we
0: do right like at the end of the day you talk about the 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 very people that are charged with solutions are prospering off of breaches whatnot and that's fair my gut says like without the industry right basically snubbing our nose and balking at vendors right because market share drives a lot of stuff let's just be real right like if you're selling products there's not a whole lot of incentive to be as responsive to customer needs but if all of a sudden sales drop word gets out a lot of bad press like you know i'm not i'm not a fan of some of these of the tactics that i we increasingly see out there because in a perfect world customer success managers and product managers, like there's good relationships between the companies and the vendor, but all too often, and not just specific to this industry, it seems like not until they get some bad PR is the damage control happening, right? So what can we do to help improve Let's let's talk about the vendor issue, and then let's then the service provider, like your MSPs that are out there. Let's just talk about those two things. What, what can the industry at large begin to do to affect some change?
1: Good question, John. Because I, I I didn't I didn't I'm not just beating a drum. Here's for me the fundamental problem, is that is is my failure. My, my failure is an information security management professional. And when I talk to my clients, I, I think the the core of this problem is that we have, not, we have not applied our own standards of quality to the very industries that we work in. You know, in terms of vendors, you, you buy a you buy a flat screen TV and it doesn't work, you take it back. You know, you buy a toaster, it doesn't work, you take it back. But you buy a firewall anti, anti-malware solution and it doesn't work and you still get ransomware, why don't we even think to take it back? So what I'm suggesting is the core of all these problems are around us as consumers. All right, we're buying things that aren't fit for purpose, and we're not we're not making our vendors accountable for it. We're not, you know, we're buying products that have 0 day vulnerabilities. Why? Because even security vendors don't practice security by design. Why is that acceptable to us? Why do we go back and buy that product again? and buy that product again and buy that product again. And we don't even enforce, I've got a brother, you know, I don't want to go out to eat with him because, you know, if there's not enough uh, ice in his water, he sends it back. And then he calls me because he's got an online business. He says I got ransomware, and I said, Have you called your ISP? Have you called what about the your malware provider? And he just it doesn't see he doesn't make that connection between his business and, and the industry, where in every other aspect of our lives, if we're unhappy with something, we demand better, and that's my point in all this. We you know it the fault the failures that I'm seeing. Uh, the, the, you know, all come back to 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 us as industry professionals who haven't demanded more, who haven't demanded more accountability for. You know, once we do have a strategy and we buy a product and it doesn't work, why aren't we taking these things back? If we buy malware and it doesn't work, we're getting ransomware. Why aren't our malware providers paying our ransomware? Because that's what we would do in every any other industry. You buy something and it doesn't work. So for me, that's the crux of the issue. It's a consumer issue that we're not asking for more from our service providers and our vendors. And so they're selling us and we keep buying it. And if we don't demand better quality, we'll never get better quality. And so I'm suggesting it starts right there to make it very personal. And if something doesn't work, you pick up the phone and you call your vendor and say, I bought the SIM and 40% of the time it's wrong and you're wasting my time. And, you know, and I'd like a refund and you're not going to get a refund. But you know what? There are about 4,000 other enterprise level security vendors out there who are vying for your dollar, your pound, your yen, your euro, that, that you can start to make the change in the industry by demanding better. For me, this is a quality issue driven by the buyer. And if we all started to demand a little better, maybe, just maybe, we'd start to get it. Get better products, get better services that actually work. But we don't. There seems to be no accountability for these purchases. And with all the money we spend on cybersecurity, that's just amazing to us that we don't apply our personal qualitative, you know, requirements that we do in our own life to our the very industry we work in and cut our trade in. So the thing that comes to mind
0: in this right and, and anytime you start talking vendors and especially like a lot you know many partners right there's always that pervert there's the finger pointing so for a vendor let, let's say let's you know and am I we're, we're not going to name names here but let's just say some well-named vendor and you picked up the phone and so they're they're selling a sim you call them your vendor up and you say hey listen this is 40 percent alert. I agree with what you're saying, but we're also in an industry that we've largely made ourselves out to be the victims, right? The FUD has driven, we've got this large shortage of folks, right? We don't have enough talent. We have this, we we have a um the skills gap, which you know I don't like the word at all cuz it just doesn't speak to technical stuff. So, what's to prevent the vendor in those cases from coming back and be like, "No, it's actually not the product," right? And then actually putting the onus right back on there, right? Is because that's that is you end up in that. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but I also think that there's a lot of the purchases out there in, you know, companies that they may not actually have the deep knowledge to actually even understand or to articulate where those specific gaps are and is that maybe part of the problem here is that the the feedback to the vendor is not sufficient
1: enough first of all i you're absolutely right that's part of the problem all right we buy things that we can't we can't you know we we buy machines we can't operate we that we don't have the skills we don't but i don't buy the victim I don't. I don't buy the we're victims. Uh, you know, we need something, so we buy something, and it doesn't work. So we, you know, play the victims. Oh, we we were sold it under false pre-sentences, uh, under this fud and this hype that's in our industry. At the end of the day, you, you know, again, I would pivot back to say this is a consumer problem. But, because why would you buy something that you can't operate? Uh, why would you buy a car you can't? You don't know how to drive. Why would you buy a house? Uh, you know, you. you uh, Uh, Why would you buy a piece of technology? So you're absolutely right. And I think we buy this thing under pressure because of the FUD. So it's a circle that we're caught in. We talked about the cybersecurity circle of failure. That's part of the circle. We can't get out of that circle. We can't break that circle. But I don't believe that just claiming we're victims is an adequate response. All right. We need to hold up our hands and say, stop. 40% of the time, this thing is wrong. Even if I had the people, you're wasting 40% of my time. And that's unacceptable. And that's the level of quality that I'm advocating. Is that is it fit for purpose? You think 40% of the time wrong is fit for purpose? No, it's not. And and I don't see that we see that we look to vendors in our industry as leaders, and we look to leaders for solutions. And 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 you know you're right we, we shouldn't name names but pick the top 10 leaders in our industry and every single in our product industry every single one of them has been breached in the last 18 months take the top 10 managed security service providers in our industry every single one of them has been breached in the last 18 months now isn't it odd you know that they are struggling with the same problems that we're struggling with they're not shepherds they're sheep they they you know they can't secure their own systems and, and it's this dichotomy that we, as a, as a buyer, as a consumer, that we don't seem to see, geez, we're buying a product from so-and-so and they were just breached two weeks ago. That logic. And to me, if we took that first step, John, that first step, you know, suddenly things like conversations of zero trust and, and strategy become all the more clear to, about what work needs to be done. You know, if our products don't work, we need to make that better. If they're insecure by design, we need to make that better. We need to address that step one, step two, step three. So the products that we do buy serve a purpose, serve a function, and they identify, they help minimize, they help manage the risk, you know, according to our strategy. That to me is is or I don't know. I just maybe I'm caught in a in a view circle of because I keep seeing this comes back to us. By the way, I am the biggest failure in my industry for not record this is this is my point of the article and the point of the paper is is that is that you know, we as cybersecurity professionals perhaps are responsible for this failure because we haven't asked for more we haven't demanded more we haven't expected more and we're not going to get it until we do very good so boy and what a
0: great conversation, Richard. We're actually out of time. Anything that we, I didn't have an opportunity to touch on that you just want to you know, quickly address for our viewers?
1: Uh, we covered a lot. Uh, I got lost in there and I, I apologize if I got, got a little preachy. Uh, John, um, it's an old man. And, and uh, as, I, as, I've, as I've, I've, I've told ISACA, I appreciate the format. I appreciate the vehicle for, for airing this perspective. I've been doing this a long time and I'm not particularly happy, but I don't want to leave you with this idea that I'm, I'm negative or I'm critical. Okay. I, I'm, I very much in trying to, to, to with that article and the white paper and the way I've approached my job, I'm out there trying to say, if you agree with me, then, then be a part of this change that you want to see. It's like that Eastern, you know, philosophy, be the change you wish to see in your industry. And, and that's what I see. And that's what I'm trying to poke other information security professionals and prod them and say, are you happy with this? Are you happy with these conditions? Because if not, if you don't speak up because you're the professional, you're the security expert, how do you expect your, you know, your company or your clients or whatever your role is? How do you expect to really get the most for, for them? And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to I'm trying to poke people and, and get them to pay attention and say, if you believe this, what are we going to do about it? And I anyway, I thank you for your time and and thanks for the discussion, John. As usual, uh, it was it was very lively. You were true to form, and uh, and again, I thank uh, Isaca for allowing me as an Isaca member to float this perspective.
0: Well, I, I I'm a big fan of those that that are having the, the hard conversations it's one of my this truly is one of the best aspects of my role here at isaka um to give platforms to to things um to highlight messages you know and, and to also be able to you know to, to for us to just have you know challenge the, the the status quo. So I really thank you for your time, uh, the work that you're doing for the community at large, for your work here w- with with my colleagues across Isaca. We didn't have an opportunity to talk about it, but those you know um, you did recently speak at our Europe conference. So thank you so much for your selflessness as you continue to just you know it, it push this big boulder uphill. So. Uh, Thanks again. I'm John Grant. Thank you for this conversation.
1: Thank you, John.